Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hello there, Josh. How are you doing today? I'm great, Christian. You do not look like you're in your house. No, I am not. I am in the Baymont Hotel, room 151 in Cedar City, Utah. Just in case awesome. you want to come visit. Okay, I don't know where you need a room number, but thank you. That's great to hear. And with us, as always, is Jason Rugg. Hey there. Hey, he's no longer our trusty, 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 <laughs> dusty. dusty research extraordinaire button pushing guy. No, he still is, but. Okay. Just secretly. You're mixing it up. I'm mixing it up. Hey, so, so uh, just You be- are in Utah. I am. All right, go ahead. Well, I just don't want to. I just don't want to bypass this moment in history without checking in on you guys and seeing how you're doing. Today is November fifth, twenty twenty. It's still two days after the election, and we do not know who our new president is. So, how are you feeling today? Uh, I, I don't. It's not the. It's not two days after the election. It's the third day of the election. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm doing okay. A little, you know, on edge trying to see where we're going, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. How about you, Josh? I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. How are you, Christian? <laughs> I have not been thinking about it hardly at all just because I have been here at this film festival. We've had a lot of exciting things happening and I've really appreciated having other things to focus on. It's been helpful. Um, I did think there would be no way we'd have an answer until after Philadelphia had counted all their ballots anyway. So, um, so I haven't been too worried about it and it will be what it will be. Right. So it will be what it will be. Yeah. So as I said, I am here in Cedar city, Utah. It is a very arid, dry, high desert area. I've never been here before. Happy to see sort of all the mountains around us. They really are red rocks surrounding this town, sort of mountainous hills. And this festival started yesterday and we are just delighted to be here. It's been interesting. Um, I will have to say I was a little bit confused when I got here because uh, there didn't seem to be, um, I don't know, a lot of people and there were not a lot of activities, it seemed, but there were big banners all over the place for the Red Rock Film Festival. And so as we went around, it seemed like, um, you know, things were normal, maybe it just hadn't gotten started. Um, but I do think COVID has decimated this film festival um, because we were talking to one of the people that was working yesterday and they said usually this town is teeming with people. It's just thousands of people here. And this year the festival is being run by the festival director basically by himself with um, a, a couple of college helpers that kind of come in in the afternoon. So it made me incredibly grateful for uh, the efforts that he has gone to this year to try to have a a regular festival. Um, But that being said, the only people that showed up for our screening were the filmmakers that showed up. uh, They had a film before hours and after hours. And so we watched each other's films. And that actually turned out to be incredibly rewarding. The film before hours was... um, Veterans Long Journey Home, and it's a story about how veterans find healing through sharing their stories with others. 
So there were a lot of common themes between our two films, and it was really neat to go from that film to this one. That film was directed by Frederick Marks, who was one of the producers on Hoop Dreams. Uh, his, uh, his resume is unbelievable. Uh, and so I was just so excited to meet him and to see his work and then uh, to have him come to our screening and um, tell me that he thought it was a really good film was super meaningful. So uh, yeah, it was a great afternoon yesterday. And then we saw another film called Dog Valley, which was a true crime documentary of a murder that happened here in Cedar City, Utah. Uh, in 1988. And it was just super interesting to see how they put together this documentary story in a way that honored the victim, wasn't graphic, and, um, you know, broke your heart, but did encourage you in sort of the good things that kind of came out of it. So uh, it's been an interesting day. Today, Jeff Kurtnacker arrives. Uh, we're so excited about that. We have one more screening tonight at 7.30. And then uh, we are on a panel tomorrow afternoon that hopefully will people will be able to see. It will be put uh, online. And so uh, that's what's happening here. The other festival news is we got into another festival. Yay! I know. I'm so excited. It's the Flat Lake um, Film Festival in Polson, Montana. And it's going to be in January, at the, the last right. weekend in January. <laughs> this, this may be so. one you want to be virtual and not have to go to. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been to Montana, and I hear it's absolutely beautiful. And, you know, winter sports. In January? Yeah. I mean, I don't mind snow if it's like a destination I'm going to. Like if I'm going there and I'm going to go ski or I'm going to, you know, just be in the snow and next to a fireplace for a few days, I'm fine with that. As long as I can get in and get back into Chicago, that's always the trouble. Well, yeah, so. You're right. You're, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> <laughs> So that's exciting. We'll see what, what will happen as kind of time goes on. I think people, it seems like to me, people are going forward with these festivals because for a year, you know, they open submissions for quite a while and you submit. And I think everybody just hopes that by the time their festival comes around, things will be back to normal. And I don't think that's going to happen even into next year. So we'll see what happens when January comes, if they are still thinking it should be virtual. So. I got a call today from my son in Germany who's stationed with the army over there and they've just had to shut down his unit and they've shut down all of Germany around him because it's just raging over there. So, um, yeah, I, I do think it's going to be a bad few months. So we'll see what happens. Uh, every time you say uh, something like, oh, I heard from, or, oh, I've got news, whatever, every, I'm, I'm expecting you to say something about Boston. Yeah. No I, wish I, <laughs> I, I wish I could say something about Boston. I tell you, two days ago, I wrote them a letter and I just said, hey, I want to check in. I want to see if there's any extenuating circumstances I'm not aware of. Um, I've reached out a few times to ask you about this situation. Our fans were super excited. They all watched and voted to help us win the audience award. Um, I know we had like 75 people who did. And they're all waiting for the announcement. And plus every week I have co-hosts that are asking me what happened. And that was two days ago and I still have had no response. So. I wonder like, I mean, there's probably no recourse, but 
it seems, hey, we have a lawyer on today. We could ask him. Um, we, uh, can you like say, at some point you either need to give me the results or give me my money back? I mean, I suppose I could say that, but I, I just am not gonna because at the end of the day, it's all about relationships in this business. And I don't want to burn any bridges just because it's just not a good business practice. Um, they did screen our film. They did. Uh, we were there in person. You know, they did show good um, faith effort in the beginning. And so I, I'm just going to be thankful for that and then just move on. And, you know, this is part of the game, I think, in film festivals to begin with. And I think that in COVID, everything is just off. And it's, it's frustrating, but this happens in life, right? And you just got to decide to either be angry about it and do something or, um, or move on. And I do think that's an interesting question. We do have a lawyer with us today, uh, a special guest. I'm super excited about this. Uh, so we can talk to him about the pros and the cons of of suing people or, or letting things go. <laughs> well, I didn't um, say necessarily sue, but like demand, you know, like, yeah. you know, threaten, uh, you know, anything like that. So, yeah, I don't know how that would go over, but anyway, probably not. Well, you have a, you have a very good perspective, Christian, and I'm glad you shared that because it's, you know, I mean, it, it, it would, in, in the real world, I would say, you know, there's like, what would happen is, is fewer people would, spend money at a business and eventually they'd go out of business if they treated everyone that way. Right. You know, but like in this world, it, it, it's a little, like you said, it's different, you know? And so it's like you said, it's just part of it. You don't want to burn bridges. And uh, I guess you got to take the good with the bad. And, you know, if people like you, they'll, you know, be more opportunities for you in the future. And so if you have a reputation of like, don't make me angry, then that may not bode well for you. So, well, and the, the fact remains that, you know, this industry is very untransparent. They're just, there's just not a way to really see or understand or know or trust. It's part of the in industry-wide plague, I think. Um, you know, in this film festival world, you just have to take what the festival people tell you as truth. You can research the uh, testimonials online. They can be true or not true. Uh, you have to take on the risk of, I'm going to spend this money. There's no guarantee back of whatever they promise. Am I okay with taking on this risk? And that's true with film festivals. It's true with distributors. It's even true with partners. And I think... Um, having a realistic understanding of the risk you take on when you are doing any sort of project like this. Um, it, it's important to understand and be level-headed about the risk reward um, stuff and the return on your investment. Boston and retrospectively is not a good return on my investment. I spent over $1,500 just getting materials there. And then we traveled there. And then I didn't meet any other filmmakers. I've not been connected to any distributors. Uh, we didn't win any awards. Uh, in the end, we walk away with an experience during COVID that most people didn't have. I did open for the Boston Film Festival. I can say that. I can put that on our laurels. Uh, nobody really is going to know that it was the kind of experience that we had. And, you know, so I did get some value from the money that I spent. You know, you just need to go into those things with your eyes open. And yeah, so that's my feeling on that. 
right. Well, good perspective. Well, why don't we shift gears? Because we have a special guest today. Yeah. And we have an attorney with us. And we talked about uh, having, you know, hiring an IP lawyer and thought, well, why, you know, what's different from business manager or um, your uh, entertainment attorney? Entertainment attorney, but also your um, head of business operations. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> the, the marketing people. The, oh, the um, publicist. Publicist, yeah, all that kind of stuff, right? You know, and so there's all these things you may not think you would need. You're like, I'm just going to make a film, right? And not realize you need all these people. And so, uh, Christian, why don't you introduce your brand new IP lawyer, Trevor Schmidt? Hi, Trevor. <laughs> hey, Christian. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks so much for I, having me on. Yeah, it's so great to see you. Uh, everybody, this is Trevor Schmidt. I'm so excited that he's here. Um, I'm just going to read a little bit of his bio. Uh, he has extensive experience in matters associated with intellectual property prosecution, licensing, enforcement, and strategic counseling. He effectively works with companies to monetize and protect their IP through licensing, development, um, reseller agreements, and associated contracts. He's managed domestic and international trademark portfolios for Fortune 500 companies, and he has considerable experience in all stages of the life of a trademark, such as selection and clearance, application preparation, prosecution before the United States Patent and Trademark Office, foreign filings, opposition and cancellation matters, preparing and responding to cease and desist, desist letters, domain name registration, and protection strategies, and UDRP complaints, which I have no idea what that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, he routinely provides counsel on the intellectual property issues associated with major transactions and advises clients on maximizing their intellectual property assets through enforcement and licensing strategies. He is also a registered patent attorney with a technical background in physics and has drafted and prosecuted a number of mechanical business method and software related patent applications. Oh, Christian, I gotta have you introduce me more often. You make me sound like somebody <laughs> I wanna hang out with, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, I'll you tell you hire this. this guy. <laughs> hey, you certainly are somebody that uh, we needed on our team, that is for sure. And you, in my opinion, are a gift of God. And I am so thankful for you. So um, I'm gonna let Josh, I'm gonna turn the questions over to Josh. He's our resident uh, co-host anchor. So Josh, you got some questions for Trevor? Trevor. Uh, Christian just introduced you and your resume, which I always thought a resume was supposed to be one page. That sounded like three or four pages you just covered, so you might want to review your resume. I'll try um, to tighten it up, yeah. All right. Uh, basically, what I gathered from that, you got a background in physics, you can sue people, and um, but what I really want to know is, what is an IP uh, lawyer? Sure. So, I mean, IP is kind of a catch-all phrase that's used to describe any sort of category of intangible property. So if you think of tangible property like land or a car, that's kind of one side of law and how people handle it. But then there's another type of category of information or ideas that are somehow protectable by law. And we group those into what's called IP. So that generally consists of trademarks, copyrights, patents, trade secrets, and that's you know generally the idea of what's encompassed with an IP. So an IP lawyer, either covers all of those or one specific category of, of uh, IP. And then they're either helping people protect it 
they're helping people license it or they're kind of suing other people who have taken uh, your IP and are doing something they're not supposed to with it. And so how, how did you guys get connected? Like did, um, I, I think we heard the story at the last podcast, but like what, how did you hear about the Girl War Freedom and get interested in working together? Yeah, so that uh, actually goes back to my wife. So my wife is a longtime listener of the Holy Post podcast, which Christian does with Phil Vischer and Sky Jatani. And as I understand it, at one point, Christian put out a call on that podcast and say, hey, if any of our listeners know an IP lawyer, um, you know, please have them reach out to me. And so my wife was like, you need to reach out to Christian. You really do. And so I think the next day I either called or emailed Christian and, and, and talked to her and really got a sense of her vision for the project and what she needed. And it was something that I, I really wanted to help out with. So that's how we got connected. You know, that's how I met Christian, my wife. And in fact, that's how I know all my friends is through my wife. And so I'd be a sad, lonely person without my wife introduce me to other people. So the same here. And that way I know I'm working with great people. If my wife is saying, Hey, you need to talk to this person. <laughs> you know what I love is I was Jeff Kurtnacker is our composer and he's showing up today at this film festival. And it was his wife, Jenna, who also introduced said, Jeff, you really need to contact Jenna. I want to have a big party for all of the wives that <laughs> told their husbands to call me. So, yeah. So, can you tell us like what you've done so far uh, as the Girl Who Wore Freedom IP lawyer? What like what specifically have you done, are going to do, and so forth? Yeah, so I think early on I started working with some kind of reviews of materials within the film to kind of provide some advice as to whether I thought it was something that could be used either under a doctrine of fair use, whether it was something that probably needed to be licensed, whether it was something that um, probably shouldn't be used at all. So there was some initial kind of review of some of the content that was going to be used in the film and some of the marketing that was going to happen kind of surrounding the film and provided some counsel and advice on that. And then uh, later on, kind of further down the process, helped do a name clearance for uh, the title of the film to make sure that there wasn't something out there that might cause problems with the use of the, of the name of the film or the marketing surrounding it. Um, and then most recently helped uh, Christian in filing the copyright application for the registration for the film itself. I, I want to have a question about the name clearance, because first of all, I thought Christian had done this already. Secondly, I thought, well, don't you just Google it and then you find out that way. So it sounds like there's probably more involved <laughs> in clearing a name. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So, I mean, Google search is a big part of it. I mean, so, but there's also some other searches that need to be done. So there's one area that you need to take a look at is the trademark office's database. Um, so the U.S. trademark office has a listing of all applications and registrations really that have ever been filed with the U.S. trademark office. And so, you know, you need to take a look at that to see if there are any active applications or registrations that have a similar mark that may be used in connection with um, similar goods and services related to the film or related to filmmaking in general. Because at a high level, the titles of films typically can't be trademarked. Uh, it's not something that is used to identify uh, the source of the goods and services. It's really considered the title of the work and therefore describes the work but it's possible either to use the title in ways that are associated with marketing that create trademark rights or that somebody else has trademark rights that would 
create an association with the film that might prevent them from, from using that name. So you have to take a look at those trademark rights to see if there's something out there that might create a problem. And then there's also the Google search to see if there's other films out there with a similar title, if there's other unregistered trademarks that might create an issue. So it's kind of taking a, a holistic look at kind of what's out there and seeing if there's something that might be a problem. Well, and to be fair, not nothing that was going to create a problem. I think our, our, our view was that there was, uh, it was a relatively clear name, nothing that was going to create a significant issue. And to be fair, we did do this a long time ago. Um, and the problem was, however, I did not do it before we named the film and started some of our branding. So I did make a mistake there. I did do the Google search and I did realize that we did have URLs we could use and it seemed to be there wasn't anything else out there like it. So that's as far as I went. At that time, I didn't understand the importance of an IP attorney or when to bring them on. And so I guess I would say, um, could you talk to us a little bit, Trevor, about when you feel like you should be brought into a project? Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say the earlier the better, um, but I, I do think there's some value to that because I think for an IP lawyer, it's easier to kind of counsel people about what's out there and how to avoid the risks than it is to come in afterwards and say, we've got a problem, how do we fix it? And I think an IP lawyer can be useful in both cases, but I think there's a value to having an IP lawyer involved at an early stage to help with name clearances, to help with kind of assessment as far as content that's going into the film, if there's going to be any significant issues with it. And then kind of at the back end. So after providing that initial advice, maybe coming in at the back end and helping register the um, copyright in the final product, help with any licensing needs, help with any kind of distribution agreements that need to be reviewed or or considered in, you know, that, that's some place where a lawyer, IP lawyer, entertainment lawyers um, on either side can help kind of provide ad value. So there's just different stages where I think it'd be helpful to involve uh, an attorney. And every filmmaker, yeah, every filmmaker listening right now is going to be like, okay, great. That sounds awesome. How much is that going to cost me? And should I build that into my budget? And what does that look like? And what does that relationship look like? Am I paying you an upfront fee? Am I paying you hourly? How much, how, how do I estimate what that will cost for my initial budgeting? Yeah. And that really kind of hits the, the, the key issue um, as far as when you bring the lawyer in, because it's always going to be a balance between budget needs and, and kind of what you can do safely on your own, I think. And so, you know, while there is an advantage to having a lawyer involved as early as possible, that may be difficult from a financial uh, uh, constraint. So, you know, at a high level, I think most attorneys bill hourly um, for the work that they do. Uh, there are certain things that probably can and should be done kind of on a fixed fee basis. So typically for, for our practice, a lot of things that we do on the IP side, we do on a fixed fee basis. So trademark searching, copyright applications, trademark applications, those types of things you can pretty safely say, this is how much it's going to cost. And we're not going to go over that amount. This is, this is what you're going to pay. But for things like a kind of a review of content or a fair use analysis or um, reviewing marketing materials, that's more typically going to be built on an hourly basis. And so part of what the filmmaker has to do is, sit down and say okay what do i need what do i have the budget for and where are they going to add the most value 
So, you know, I think it's a wide range of what they could budget. I think, you know, for copyright application or trademark application in search, you're probably looking at a, you know, a thousand dollars to a couple thousand dollars. But for that more extensive involvement, you could easily get up into like $10,000 in your budget for, for, you know, legal assistance. So it really depends on what you want the attorney to do and how involved they're going to be. So for some things like going back to the whole kind of review of content and like a licensing analysis, I don't think you really want your attorney to try to be tracking down, you know, the owners of a copyright to see if they'd be willing to license it. Cause I think that may be something that a business, somebody on the business side is more efficient at, or, or isn't going to at least be billing you hourly for. So have the IP lawyer come in and say, Hey, this clip, that clip, and this song all could potentially be problematic. And then from the business side, go down and try to chase those things down on your own. Yeah. And I think, um, I, I guess the, the next question then is what is the difference between an IP lawyer and an entertainment lawyer? Where is the line drawn and, you know, do you need both of those or can one serve the role for both yeah. jobs? It probably depends on the entertainment lawyer and the IP lawyer. So I think I, I've known a lot of entertainment lawyers that do have kind of background in IP and probably could do a mixture of both. When I think of an inter entertainment lawyer, I'm thinking more often of somebody who's got some connections within the industry is probably going to be negotiating uh, some of the, the agreements associated either with distribution or with uh, kind of relationships with, with people within the film. Um, and I think that can be a highly specialized and highly, you know, unique skill set that, that could be valuable to have. And I think especially for somebody who is tied into the industry and an entertainment lawyer can add a lot of value that way of kind of knowing other people that can be reached out to and having that network. Um, and some of those lawyers then have that IP background that they can also do some of the clearance work. And then on the IP side, you might have somebody who can also do the IP clearance, but also has familiarity with, you know, licensing agreements or distribution agreements and can provide counsel there. So there may be some overlap um, and it really is going to depend on the person that you're working with. Well, and that brings up another question, which is you are not an individual sole practitioner. So I think, you know, you have attorneys that, that work on their own, have their own shop or have hung their own shingle as my husband, the lawyer says. Uh, and then you have people who work inside of a company and I see your background, uh, your, you know, um, Hutchinson law, right. Um, yep. And this is interesting because you work for the, or work inside that law group, but um, you did volunteer for us. So how did you work out that agreement? Yeah. I mean, so our firm Hutchison, you know, our, we typically represent startup and growth companies. So we're very, we're used to working with very young companies. And in my mind, you know, a filmmaker who's just starting out, this very much a startup company is a young company and is trying to grow a business in the name. And so it fits in that kind of mindset of what we do as far as being able to, to kind of work and volunteer with a project, you know, I'm in a unique enough situation where kind of I'm a partner at the firm. I have the ability to kind of control the, the work that I do. And I have some support from my other partners to, to kind of do work that's important to me and be able to volunteer where it's appropriate. And so um, that was an, an easy kind of sell and a situation for, for the firm. Um, but it really is kind of on a firm by firm basis as far as how that works out. So how long does the relationship last with the IP lawyer? 
Like you just kind of check off some boxes and say, I'm out of here. Yeah. I mean, it really is kind of an as needed basis. So, you, you know, you could do answer a few questions on the clearance side and be done with them, or you could have them file the application and, you know, get your copyright registration for the motion picture and say, you know, it's been great, or it can be kind of a longer term relationship as, as the project develops. But, you know, in our, in our situation, we tend to engage with clients for the long term. So it's not like we do a project and then we're done with you. You know, it signs up and like, when you need something from us, I'm going to be here ready to help. You know, there's not kind of an ongoing monthly payment obligation. It's just when you need me, pick up the phone, give me a call and, and I'll see what I can do to help out. Well, and in this situation, I think, um, you know, I, again, I'm completely new, never had any experience, but now that I've done this and it's been mildly successful, I want to do more. And so for the next project, you better bet your bottom dollar, I'm going to write him into my <laughs> contracts, right? And my, my budget, and I'm not going to work with anybody else. So, so hopefully, um, you know, his investment of time here with us will pay dividends as well as I, you know, I, I have planned to, to share this online and talk about the work that his law firm is doing for us. Um, so, you know, I mean, I assume that you would like to do more work like this. Did you enjoy it? Has it been rewarding? All of the above. I mean, I think it's been fantastic. And um, I've enjoyed working with you and I've enjoyed working on, on the project and would love to do more of it. Um, you know, we, me personally in the past, I've represented a number of different types of, of companies. Film really wasn't one that I had done a lot with. Uh, so I've represented video game companies and virtual reality companies and kind of maybe traditional media companies, but you know, filmmaking was, it was something relatively new. So it's, it's been fun to see this side of the world and that, that project is, as, as it's progressed. Um, but you know, you kind of talked about kind of investing with a company early on and being future opportunities. I think that's a big mindset of our firm. And, you know, when you work with startup companies, a lot of times they're just on the ground floor and they may not have necessarily the financial resources to, to kind of pay the legal needs that they need now, but we're invested in these companies to grow with them long-term. And that's why in my mind, you know, working Christian with you as a, as a filmmaker, I know you're going to make more films in the future. I know you're going to continue to have great successes with what you're doing. And, you know, if that creates an opportunity for us to grow with you, that's, that's fantastic. So. Well, it has hopefully create opportunities for sure. You will be my, my guy. Um, you know, I'm wondering Jason about what you're thinking because Jason is on the cusp of, he's a young filmmaker. He's kind of doing some new projects of his own. Um, have you, do you have your own IP lawyer yet? Have you thought about these <laughs> IP issues? Uh, we Come have on, thought Jason. about, yeah, uh, actually. So yeah, we have thought about IP issues and um, we've done our best to do the, the Google searches and things like that to see if there's anything with similar names to some of our projects, things like that. But we don't have an IP lawyer yet. We have an entertainment lawyer who's interested in our projects and, and uh, working with us, but we don't have an IP lawyer yet. So yeah, that is, that is interesting uh, that we have this conversation because I'm definitely here sitting here going, huh, I should probably figure that out. <laughs> and and um, so have you thought of any questions that you're mulling around that you think, you know? A lot of them are really specific to the project. So I wouldn't want to ask those that'd be like, hey, answer them on the podcast for free. <laughs> so <laughs> um yeah, could you I give guess, us one? Uh, could you give us one? I'm sure he'll throw you a bone. Just give us <laughs> give us one scenario. Seriously, because uh 
Because I think it would be hey, great. I, I, I got one. I got a situation with my neighbor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could. You just need to throw up, hypothetically speaking, in front of it, and then we're good to go. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so hypothetically speaking, if right. a show uh, project that we're working on has uh, two people's names in it, you know, just two first names, mm-hmm. um, and one of them is kind of made up, but it's very similar to a real name, and the other one is actually a real name. Uh, can we run into issues of, you know, like if there's a company that someone started, you know, it's like mom and pops, you know, uh, soda shop, you know, can we run into issues if we, if we have a TV show that has that, that same name in front of it or a similar name? Yeah. And it really is going to de- depend on, on the use, uh, I think. So, and how it's being used. So if it's really an individual's name, you know, you get into questions of kind of right of publicity and whether or not you're trying to, somehow leverage that person's fame or leverage that person's identity in order to build kind of value in your own film. And then that can create an issue from a a right of publicity. And that's really kind of an interesting topic as far as, as what you're using and how you're using it. But if you're talking about like the name of a, of a business or the name of an organization, again, the question is going to be, you know, all the time in TVs, you're going to see people kind of walk past a coffee shop or walk past a building that's identifiable. And that may not create an issue. But if, you know, you walk past a business and somehow that business seems to be suggesting an affiliation or sponsorship with your film or seems to be casting that business in a negative light. So there's two parts to that. One, it may not be a legal issue at all, but it may be enough of an issue that even though they don't have a substantial claim, somebody might bring a claim against you. And I think that's an important, important distinction that kind of I've learned over my career. There's, there's both what's legal and illegal or, you know, what can create liability, but then there's also the ability to raise a claim, even if it's not necessarily a violation of any IP or applicable law. And the reality is, is that if you get too close to certain scenarios where you've upset somebody, they may raise a claim, even if in the long run, they would lose it just to put pressure on you. So I don't know that I've answered your question at all, but those are just some things to think about. No, yeah, that, that does definitely answer some questions. So thank you. That's, that's really helpful. Well, and I'm assuming when you say name, Jason, are yeah. you talking about the first and the last name? Because I mean, if you're saying the character's name is Dave, I... No, it's, it's more like two first names. It's the, the show name title would be name and name. You know, it's, it's like it a, a duo. Is, if, <laughs> yeah, like Ben, ben and Jerry. Jerry yeah. that, that might be a problem. Yeah, okay. it's not Ben and Jerry, but yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and along those lines, you know, kind of talking about name association. So one broad concept in trademark law is, is you can use somebody else's mark or it's not even their mark. You can use a mark that's identical to somebody else's trademark as long as there is no similarity in the goods and services or the goods and services aren't such that consumers would believe that there's a sponsorship affiliation or that the goods originate from the same source. So, you know, that's a legal way of saying that kind of put yourself in the shoes of a a consumer or a shopper. If I go out and I see this name usage, am I going to believe either that, the, the other name that I'm familiar with has produced this or somehow has sponsored or is affiliated with this project. So for example, I'm trying to think of like a, not a famous mark cause there's other issues with a famous mark. But if I have, you know, trademark a, and I use it in connection with tennis shoes and somebody else adopts that exact same trademark, 
but uses it in connection with, you know, recycling services. As a consumer, I wouldn't expect a shoe producer to be doing recycling services as well. So that's, that's not a concern. So the question is really, as a consumer, would I believe that these are affiliated or would I believe that they're originating from the same source? Now, I have an interesting question. So I'm listening to you talk about the trademark thing and trademarking a name. And I'm thinking about the girl who wore freedom as the name. We did just apply for a, pa- a copyright for the film, but we haven't trademarked the name. Right. And so those are kind of different categories of IP protection. So the copyright registration covers the creative work in the film itself. So the cinematography, the directing, the script, the music, anything that was newly created for the motion picture, copyright is going to protect all of that creative work. A trademark protects the, the name or the logo or the design that you use to identify the source of that, those goods or those services. So for example, I believe the entity that you produced under was Normandy Project. Normandy Project LLC, yeah. So like if you use Normandy Project in your marketing or advertising to identify it as the kind of the source of the film, Normandy Project is going to be a trademark that has some rights in it because you're using it to kind of identify who's created this film, where these services are coming from, your production um, services would all be associated with Normandy Project. But the girl who wore freedom as the title of the movie, as a title alone, it's not going to provide trademark rights. Because again, that's describing what the film is. It is actually, it actually is the film. But if you start to then apply it to other merchandise or if you uh, uh, attach it to other services, so, you know, maybe you launch a conference year in and year out. It's the Girl Who Wore Freedom conference and you bring in veterans to kind of talk about their experiences and it's tied into the film. That use would start to create trademark rights in the Girl Who Wore Freedom. Or if you create a clothing line that's associated with it where you, you know, manufacture dresses of, 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 that the girl wore and, you know, you sell those, that could be a trademark associated with, with those goods. But the title in the film itself just initially would not create a trademark right in, in that name. Do you have to actually file something to get the trademark or is usage of it? So, you know, we've used Normandy Project LLC on all of our branding and we, it is the title of our company. It is a URL. Um, is that already like common law trademark or I don't know what it's called, but. You hit it on the head. It sounds like a lawyer. So yeah. So uh, <laughs> any, any use of a trademark in commerce to identify the goods and services starts to create certain rights in that trademark. And those are referred to, as you said, common law trademark rights. So I got that right. You did. You you (laughs) nailed it. So a common law trademark right, though, is is somewhat a little bit more limited because your rights in that mark are limited to the geographic area that you use the mark. So say, for example, you go to the Boston Film Festival, you do marketing around that, you put, you know, materials out there that talk about Normandy Project, you will have rights to that mark in that area. But if you haven't been to Washington State or you haven't been to Nebraska or you haven't been somewhere else where you've directed advertising or promotion or marketing of your materials there, you're not going to have any rights to that trademark in those areas. When you file an application to register your mark, you create a nationwide priority to your mark from the date you file the application. So that means from the date I filed the application, I'm going to have rights to it across the country. So if somebody in Nebraska starts to use a similar mark that I have, I can go to them and say, Hey, I've got this application. 
you need to stop using the mark and you know, it really belongs to me. So that's the advantage of filing an application. Interesting. What about if you use the mark? So we've used Normandy project LLC on our website where we have advertised um, for our film or for screenings all over the United States and France. And we've even used it in advertising on Facebook and Instagram in Europe, in many countries in Europe. So does that do anything? So the first part of that is, you know, courts that have looked at it really have said that having a website that can be accessible anywhere in the U.S. doesn't mean that you have rights to it in the U.S. It would really come down to where your users are coming from. So if for whatever reason you got into a dispute about it, you really have to take a look at where that traffic was coming from, where you've intentionally delivered you know, advertising or promotional materials associated with it, where you're, you know, the IP addresses that are pinging your website, where are those coming from? It's going to be a really fact um, intensive look as to, as far as that goes. But then once you move outside of the United States, you get into a slightly different situation because aside from the United States, most countries only provide trademark protection on the basis of registration. So countries like France or getting a, um, a trademark registration that covers the European Union, those you're only going to have rights once you've filed your application and gotten a registration for it. So even if you've used it in France, even if you've used it in other countries within Europe, you're not going to necessarily have trademark rights in those countries unless you filed an application and gotten a registration. This information is so helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Now I know why you have that long resume. (laughs) That's right. I got to fit it all in. Wow. Any question, any other questions, boys? No, I, I'm just thinking for any first-time filmmaker out there, you better get yourself an IP lawyer and uh, better get in line behind Christian and Jason for Trevor because uh, uh, <laughs> you're going to be lost if you don't have one. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if someone wanted to get in contact with you about um, being their IP lawyer, not specifically just me, but also just anyone, <laughs> yeah, how I mean, would they do that? Sure, a great place to start would be our website. So check us out at hutchlaw.com. That's H-U-T-C-H-L-A-W.com. And then feel free to shoot me an email. Um, I'm Trevor Schmidt. My email is T Schmidt, S-C-H-M-I-D-T at hutchlaw.com. So those are all great ways to get in touch. Also on Twitter at InRayTrevor. <laughs> so if you feel the need to reach out that way, uh, I don't really post a lot. I'm a big lurker on Twitter, but I, I am there. So we'd get in touch with you there. So How, what is InRay? What does that look like? Spell that for me. So it's I-N-R-E Trevor. T-R-E-V-O-R. So, uh, yeah, this was pre-law school, kind of nerded out a little bit. Um, in, in Ray is a, is a law caption, meaning in regards to, and it's typically used in certain types of case captions. So I thought, hey, I'm going to law school. I should, I should pick that up as my, originally it was email and it's just stuck with me. So That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all you've done for The Girl Who Wore Freedom. We are incredibly thankful for you. It's been a pleasure working with you. I do highly recommend Uh, you and your law firm for any filmmakers uh, IP needs. Christian, thanks so much. And I've enjoyed it as well. And one other plug I wanted to make, if uh, you're interested in what our firm is doing and the clients that we work with, be sure to check out our podcast too. We recently recently launched the Founder Shares podcast. So we kind of talk about the clients that we work with and, and their experience and their stories. So if you're interested in that, feel free to check that out as well. Yeah. Where do we find that? So it's available anywhere podcasts are. So Apple or Spotify or um, Google podcasts and it's founder shares. 
and uh, I'm the host and we talk to a lot of different people. So it's been fun. Fabulous. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. Christian, do you have anything you need to plug before we say goodbye? Oh, thank you so much for asking. Yes, this week, if you go to our website, to our shop, and you use the code REDROCK, you get 10% off on any girl who wore freedom apparel. And we are still uh, looking for, you know, extra interns in the uh, video editing department. We are looking for interns in social media and business. We definitely need a business intern for Hunter. So uh, if you know anybody that's interested, please let us know. And uh, we have a film festival screening coming out on November 13th through the 15th through the Big Apple Film Festival. That will be online. You can find out how to watch our film at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash festivals. And the information will be there for you to screen our film. That's all. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Trevor. And thanks to all of you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about The Girl Who Wore Freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.